cute if it's a bear. <laughs> Terrible if it's a person. Hi, and welcome to Meet Your Heroes. I'm Audrey. And I'm Elliot. And this is the show where we ignore the very good conventional wisdom to never meet your heroes and instead get up close and personal with their lesser known legacies and real life bad behavior. Yes, and this is the Meet Your Heroes Thanksgiving edition. It is. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. It's a Thanksgiving edition because... We kind of mismanaged our time this week, so the episode's <laughs> okay. a day late. It was it was a busy week. There's it a was. lot of things going on. It was. Regardless, we made it. We've arrived. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome, yes. It's our gift to you. Worth every penny. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, and it is technically, it is only American Thanksgiving. It is. Well, I mean, obviously, the world revolves around Americans, so get on board. <laughs> yes. To our considerable number of international listeners, yes, there are other Thanksgiving. There's Canadian Thanksgiving, Brazilian mm-hmm. Thanksgiving, Liberian Thanksgiving. I'm sure there's others I'm missing. All of which are probably, arguably, demonstrably better than American Thanksgiving. <laughs> I don't know. Have you ever had a turducken at a Liberian Thanksgiving? I have not. Is that the traditional meal? <laughs> no, that's like the South, that's like the South Louisiana meal. <laughs> no, well, I haven't eaten meat in years, so that wouldn't be where I go first. <laughs> no, no. Um, but yes, it is. It is a tradition, and a big part of that is this week's hero. Tell me more. Yeah, a, kind of a departure. Mm-hmm. Uh, first time, our hero is not actually a person, but because it looms so large in the mythos of the holiday for Americans. We've made an exception. This week's hero is the Mayflower. And from what I understand, you happen to have a special personal connection to this week's hero. I do. Yeah, I have a complicated relationship personally with the Mayflower. Um, As you know, I'm a direct descendant of one of the passengers from the Mayflower. That makes me feel all sorts of complicated things. Yeah, it's a it is a complicated story as we will find out. Yeah, all growing up throughout my childhood, I really thought every single person in America was a descendant from someone on the Mayflower. You know, it's just how I did the math, like, oh, people came over on the Mayflower and now there's 300 million of us. <laughs> in your defense, kids are really stupid. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Especially if they're descendants <laughs> People from the Mayflower. <laughs> yes. Well, okay. So in the spirit of your personal connection, mm-hmm. um, let's begin. Growing up, what did you understand to be the myth of the Mayflower? I understood that it was a it was a boat that brought over a group of people from England to Plymouth Rock in Massachusetts. And... The people that we now call pilgrims were in search of a place where they could restart their lives, rebuild, um, and sort of govern themselves with their faith being the driver of all decisions. And as a result, once they got here in search of this religious freedom, Mm -hmm. they made friends with 
the Indians who helped them survive. Um, That's the story. Yes, right, yeah. the myth. Who helped the them survive this winter. And then at the end of the winter, they had this this big celebration uh, which ended up becoming the first Thanksgiving. The end of the harvest, Sorry, not the, the end, end of, of the, the winter. Yeah, yes. going into winter after the summer harvest, all of these fall and summer produce they <laughs> gathered around in a cornucopia, and um, they had a banquet. Yeah, and 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 importantly, like the the myth of the story tends to stop at the banquet because like the implied thing it's not, it's not usually said directly in the textbooks this clearly but like the implied story is these quote unquote indians right teach them how to live in their new place they sit down to dinner they have this like meal and then they kind of like disappear right they hand off america to these new white people so that they can create this nation that is dedicated to liberty right and christianity and like it's a story of of how these people like cede the land to these newcomers and kind of fade into the background. I mean, that's what white people love to tell ourselves for sure. That is explicitly where the story ends and like implicitly mm-hmm. where it goes. Uh, and today we're just going to unpack that a little bit. Let's do it. The first thing to note, right, is that <laughs> if you go back far enough, right, the first people to get to America are here roughly, what, 12,000 years ago-ish? You walk across the land bridge in Alaska, walk down, and like that's when people start to populate the Americas, right? Sure. So twelve thousand years. Fast math. That's um, lots of thousands of years before sixteen twenty one, yes. which is when the pilgrims it's come, first. the colonizers. They get here first, mm-hmm. and for roughly, I would say eleven and a half thousand of those years, just mm-hmm. chilling, minding their business, right? right? And then they is indigenous people, indigenous communities. Yeah, and just because they they were here and building yes. lives and communities and civilizations long before anybody else, and Absolutely. just living their lives. Mm-hmm. About a thousand years ago, mm-hmm. we have the first Europeans who make this trek, assumed to be like the Norse people, right? Like make mm. this trek to the New World. They they tend to like stay off the coast. They they like sometimes stop and make small temporary settlements. Okay. But, they, but this is like. The, the Vikings discovering North America kind of at one point and then basically leaving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then 500 or so years later, then you have kind of the Western European colonial transformation, right? This is when the Portuguese and the Spanish, the other Europeans start to show up on the continent. Yes. And so we are going to position ourselves like 100 years after that. So like after all these other people who've been living here and visiting about 400 years ago, this is when our story takes place. Mm-hmm. Almost exactly 400 years ago. Yeah, so so next year will be the 400th anniversary of this quote-unquote first Thanksgiving. Wow. But this year is the 400-year anniversary of when the pilgrims landed in North America. When they hit that rock. Yeah, there were a lot of celebrations planned before the pandemic, but uh, this, is, this is the anniversary. I mean, I cannot tell you how fitting it is that the celebrations of the people who brought disease to America had to be stopped because of disease in America. <laughs> in their defense... There are a lot of other Europeans bringing disease to America, a lot of other places. I'm not defending that. Yeah, right? Just not in the Northeast. Mm-hmm. So, like, you have the Spanish landing in uh, Florida in the 1500s. You have the colonies at Jamestown, the 1619 Project, talking about, like, the importing of African slavery for the first time down in the Virginia area. Mm-hmm. Right? All these people had already been here. And then the pilgrims show up in New in Massachusetts, or what will be Massachusetts eventually. Yes. Right? So, so, with this background, the first framing of this myth, myth, myth number one of this story, if you will... The pilgrims came to the New World seeking religious freedom. 
That's not that's not what happened. So in reality, they were a congregation. They had broken away from the Church of England Mm -hmm. and they were interested in religious freedom. And that was like partially the reason. But the Puritans that came over, they were only half of the hundred people that came over on the Mayflower. Only half of them were really interested in religious freedom at all. Mm. Did they call themselves Puritans? It seems like pilgrims is a term assigned retroactively. Sure. Puritans, well, yes. I think, is a is a term of the day. I don't know if that's like how they would have referred to the group, but mm-hmm. it is a, a term that was used because it is trying to purify this like bloated Church of England in their mind that they see. Oh, okay. Right. So they they splinter away from the church, and when they leave the Church of England to get religious freedom, do you know where they went? Uh, Massachusetts. They, they went to Holland. Oh, okay. They yes. went to Holland, and okay. and you know what? Mm-mm. It was amazing. So it turns out they left the Church of England. They went to Holland and they settled in the city of Leiden and they found religious tolerance unlike basically anywhere else in the world at that time. Mm. It was just like a paradise. The records that they, the records that they wrote glowingly of it, and it was, quote, they came as near to the pattern of the first churches as any other church in these times. God had blessed them with, quote, much peace and liberty. They just, they loved it and they thrived. The issue, though, is they had the religious freedom but they had to deal with um, the fact that they didn't speak Dutch. Yeah, they called the dirty Dutch, basically. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, so they were like, "This is great, and all we have our religious freedom, but our kids are like growing up around all these Dutch people, and that's gross." What? Yeah, they were worried about the Dutch influence on their culture. They're like, "How do we stay English and religiously free?" And also, they didn't really want to speak Dutch. And as you can imagine, if you move to Holland and you don't speak Dutch. It's hard to get a job. Yes. And so they couldn't they couldn't make a living for themselves. Right. They were they ran out of money. Right. And so these like high-minded religious uh people go to this place, they find religious freedom, and then they're like, We got the freedom. Where can we get some money now? <laughs> no, yeah, I saw a meme um I don't know, like a year or so ago, where somebody's like, if you don't like America, leave. And the response was like, where will I go? I speak no other languages. I have no transferable skills. I will go broke and hungry so fast. Yes, this is exactly what happened. <laughs> That's me too. Yeah. It's a story of America. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So so as a result, they are like at their wits end and they are trying to find, quote, a better and easier living. Aren't we all? Keep that in mind. They were go- They were hoping for an easier living, which is how they ended up here. So they spend a decade struggling and eventually they go to the London company, which is like this big trading company, Mm -hmm. they essentially ask for a charter. They're like, could we get a a franchise of this thing? (laughs) Can we like get get a way to like go explore and get some land for ourselves? And they're like, okay, sure. So they give them a charter for the land that is north of Virginia, basically around present day New York. Okay. And they're like, this is a big fur and trapping trade area. People are coming down the river with this stuff. You go claim that for England, take Mm -hmm. it over, just... You know, stick a flag in it, be like, it's ours now. And um, you can have that and that'll be your living. And they're like, perfect. That's actually how I treat your French fries at dinner. Yes. Stick a flag in it. These are mine now. Yes. So, yes. So so their real goal was to claim the area, keep their religious freedom and turn a profit for the people who gave them their initial investment. Without ever having to learn Dutch. America. Oh, and also their goal was to survive. That was a big goal, too, because it turns out that was not going to be so easy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Myth number two. The pilgrims were 
the first Europeans to land, if not in America, then at least in this region, in you know New England, and to interact with the Native people they met. It sounds like you've already disproven that a few times. And specifically, they knew that they were not the first Europeans to be there because when they landed, mm-hmm. they like got the boat into the shallow waters and they came off and they saw Native peoples approach them mm-hmm. and the Native people said, hello, Englishmen. No. <laughs> and they're like, what? They're like, oh, yeah, we yes. speak English. Whoa. And they're like, what? Yeah. So it turns out the Natives spoke English uh, because they had... So many traders come through. A lot of them had learned it from the traders, and it just wow. been like a commerce language, much like it would become today, right? Like mm-hmm. people don't speak English because it's pretty; they speak it because it helps make commerce easier. Also, some of them spoke it because the English who had previously come through had kidnapped them and sold them into slavery. So, one of them, the most famous, uh, Tisquantum, who the English would shorten to Squanto. Yes, I know this. And story. who became famous, right? Mm-hmm. Tisquantum was kidnapped, sold into slavery. Shipped off to England. Yes. Um, was kind of a marvel, right? Because he was like so much uh, larger and uh, just taller than most average English people. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually escapes or gets back to the village. But in the time he's been away, there's been this plague, essentially, that wipes yeah. out many of the villages. And so like his old tribe is gone and Oof. he like tries to live with this new tribe. But then he like speaks English. And so essentially uh, he becomes like an ambassador, despite having been previously Kidnapped and sold into slavery by English people. He's like the goodwill ambassador to the English people. And so he's like, hey, you know, uh, welcome to the neighborhood, I guess. And he begins eventually like finds more of a place there than with these other tribes that he's been trying to cut it with. But almost certainly they were not the first and were not even the critical piece in bridging this cultural divide between the native peoples and themselves. Sure. Despite finding this, you know, surprisingly uh, understandable welcome, the pilgrims were not gracious visitors. Well, yeah, they're there to stay. I guess they weren't even gracious neighbors to start off with. Right. Their ship lands, they're there behind schedule. So they hope to come in this late summer, fall. They land in November. They are just scavenging, trying to make it, living on the ship still, not even daring to like try to build buildings at this point. Right. It's too Um, cold. They're going along the beach and they... They're basically just looking for whatever valuables they can. They find what turns out to be a Nauset burial ground, and they discovered this. And once they found that it was a burial ground, they proceeded to just dig up all the graves to look for valuables and steal them. What? Uh, yeah. So so they definitely dug up the graves oh within like God. the first few weeks. Also, then as they're on the beach, they come upon these mounds of sand, right? Heaps of sand. And they start digging it up, and they find baskets of corn of all these different colors uh, because it turns out you could like refrigerate things by basically making a, a cellar right out of yeah. the sand. Mm-hmm. And so they just steal it. And it's crazy to think that like they found this. They understood that it was food stores because the people who lived there and had made them had like came, come up and greeted them in English and be like, hey, right. we live here. This is our welcome. I mean, it's not like squirrels are like weaving baskets and burying shit in the sand. No, it's, and it's not like they tripped over and were like, oh, you know, somebody must have dropped this here. They're like, oh, we've stumbled into somebody's, like, winter food supplies. You know what? I'm going to keep this. Jeez. I'm going to take this. It's like somebody walks into your house, like, opens your freezer and just, like, takes stuff. And it's like, oh, yeah, I guess this is mine now. Cute if it's a bear. <laughs> Terrible if it's a person. Yes. The people should know better. Absolutely. But yeah, but so this part of the history is just, like, totally downplayed. They were just incredibly 
I'm, I it's know it's not downplayed. It's even ignored. No, no, no. It's the retelling of this is that those goods were given to the pilgrims to help them survive. Like I, I remember stories from my childhood where the they arrive late. They're starving. People are dying. One of the big things I know that the pilgrims struggled with was a flea infestation. Yes. They're like infested with fleas. And so the story gets mistold as like, oh, well, then the indigenous tribes of the area met them and gave them all of these goods that they had from their harvest when really they're just going around digging that shit up and stealing it. Yeah. And so... As you can imagine, this prompts a lot of intense debate on the Wampanoag side. Mm -hmm. So the Wampanoag tribe sees this and is like, what the fuck's going on? Their leaders are still considering trying to form an alliance. Okay. Because the Wampanoag had been devastated by this illness. Mm -hmm. And so their numbers were wiped out. And so they were also concerned about encroaching rival tribes. They didn't have the numbers to defend themselves anymore. Oh, my God. So so even as these new English people are just, like, stealing their shit, they're like, maybe, okay, they're rude as fuck, yes, but maybe we can form some sort of alliance, right? Maybe they can essentially, like, be partners with us, and that can help us to defend ourselves and our territory. Mm-hmm. And the pilgrims, right, most of whom were still just living in this cramped, nasty Mayflower, half of them are dying off. They're desperate. So eventually, when the Wampanoag do approach and offer essentially some semblance of a ceasefire peace treaty, like, you know, peaceful coexistence, mm-hmm. they're going to leap at it because they can only steal for so long, right? They need whatever help they can get. And frankly, without the support from the tribe, it seems like almost all of them would have certainly died. Sure. So the next myth is that even if they formed this alliance out of convenience, eventually, by the next harvest, they came together in November of 1621 for the first Thanksgiving feast. This is the whole thing, the entire Thanksgiving industrial complex is founded upon. Yes. Survey says that was a lie. (laughs) Oh, no. First things first. Mm -hmm. They did have a feast. Sure. They did have Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. Those were not the same thing. Thanksgiving is a thing that has existed for much longer in the Christian tradition before this. They did it frequently. Thanksgiving is just like this very formal day of prayer. That's so interesting because one of my uh, friends on Instagram stories asked, is Thanksgiving in your house a secular or religious holiday? And this person happens to be very religious And you and I are very much not. This person said, if you are atheist or agnostic, I would really like to know your perspective. Like, is this a religious holiday that you avoid talking about as religious or is it completely secular in your mind? I was like, it's completely secular, although it makes so much sense that it would be a holiday in the purest sense, like a holy day based yep. on how much of a factor faith was for English people in the 17th century. Yeah. And and frankly, right, like the conflation of them in current American culture, mm-hmm. the way it's celebrated is, is almost exclusively with the trappings of the non-religious parts. Yes. Right? So like... Football. Yeah. Rose parade. Even even the feast itself is is explicitly 
the opposite of the religious part because it was a day mm. like a formal day and usually fasting in ah. worship, right? Yep. So the Thanksgiving that is religious, Europeans had not just been celebrating this forever, but also had already celebrated it in North America. Like the Spanish documents said that they had Thanksgiving mass basically back in 1565 in Florida, maybe even earlier than that, back in Texas with like early Spanish uh, missions. Don't tell people from Florida that they're responsible for Thanksgiving. They can't handle that <laughs> responsibility. No, not, nothing good about Thanksgiving. Yes. Okay, so so while they did have, the Puritans had days of Thanksgiving, it's literally the opposite of this big, fun family feast, right? Okay. But uh, one of the original Mayflower passengers right, is writing about the first few years in Plymouth. They do also mention separately from the concept of Thanksgiving, a celebration marking the first successful harvest. And that was probably around October of 1621. Given the context for them, it was not an especially big deal, right? It would just go on to become one in American culture. So picture this. You get to the end of this very first harvest. The last winter you spent living on a boat with fleas, desperate for anything, robbing graves and stealing other people's food cellars. You make it through the winter You get a harvest where they've showed you how to plant things as part of your peace treaty. You grow your things, you have this feast, and you do not invite any of the Native people to it at all. Zero Native people were invited to this feast. This is like a combination of two Drake songs, and I'm sorry to make light of this, but very started from the bottom, now we're here. (laughs) Remix, mashup, no new friends. And so if we have any followers who are adept at that sort of musical production... That that would be a gift I would give many thanks for. That is the true spirit of Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So picture this. They're having this feast. They have not invited a single Native person, despite like desperately relying on them for survival for the past year. I am absolutely not shocked by that fact. Okay. So as they're having this celebration, one of the activities they're doing is part of this celebratory mood. I don't, I don't think the Puritans drank, but I would like to picture them with some beers in their hand. They just start shooting their guns in the air. That they're, is very American. <laughs> that's very, that is American right there. So they're shooting the guns in the air, just having a wild old time. And the natives hear this, the Wampanoag tribe hears this, and they're like, it's about to go down. So they <sighs> get 90 people gathered up in a war party, right, ready to go essentially fight the war that they thought was like finally culminating from this. And they show up. And it's just a bunch of white dudes shooting guns in the air having a a party. Uh, I hate it here. So it's a tense moment. But once they see that, like, oh, we brought a a war party to a food party, they decide that they will make a good faith effort. The the tribe goes and kills five deer, offers it as, like, a gift to, like, join in the celebration. And then as a result, they sit down and eat this meal together. Not because they were invited, but because the tribe showed up to have to, like, defend themselves and maybe kill some people. That is horrifying. Not to mention the fact that the pilgrims probably couldn't have got those deer themselves because they wasted all their ammunition. (laughs) Just shooting it into the air. Shooting shit into the air. Yes. Wow. God. Yeah. So, So what the story makes out to be, like, this time of camaraderie and, like, gratefulness for the help of the native tribes actually is, like... The de-escalation of like a, a very tense diplomatic dispute that like just was pulled back from the brink of disaster. The most disheartening part about this is that even with this like moment of tentative peace, within 50 years, the English settlers and the European settlers in general are going to vastly outnumber the indigenous people 
as they grow these settlements and more people come over. I prefer the term colonizer because settler makes it seem like the land that it was like theirs for the, that was just there, not that they came and like took it and stole stuff. Yes, the colonizers. Yes. And uh, Massasoit, right, the leader of the Wampanoag tribe, in those 50 years, he will be imprisoned for negotiating a sale of land to these European settlers. Mm. And and the thing to think about is, sorry, European colonizers, the, the way to frame this, I think, that makes it most clear is that if at around the same time you imagine Wampanoag tribes had gotten their canoes across the Atlantic to land in England and had purchased land from the English and then said, oh, yes, this is now our country. Thank you for selling us this land. Your jurisdiction no longer applies. And then more people had showed up and started to like take the land. And when they're like, oh, no, you just bought this land from us. They said, no, this is a new country. Now it's ours. It would have seemed ridiculous. But this ends up being exactly the thing that the European colonizers insist upon, that you sell us this land and now this is our new country and you no longer have any rights here. Right. It's a very um, see, want, take chain of events. And uh, content warning for people who have an aversion to hearing about violence. Just know the next few minutes may not be for you. After these 50 years... It devolves into a very brutal war uh, that culminates in Massasoit's son being captured, being beheaded, and then the colonizers putting his son's head on a pike outside of their settlement as they chase them from their remaining land. Oh, my God. I mean, it becomes a brutal war and one that is founded fundamentally on this principle that we show up, and it's ours, and if you don't agree, you have to die for it. Yeah, I, I don't think there are words to even imagine how horrifying that is. And um, the amount of trauma that persists even to this day because of the foundations of violence, are it's very real, and um, that can be obscured by giant Snoopy balloons in the Macy's Day Parade. So if you imagine that the native leaders, right, who who at one point the colonizers called their great protector and preserver, they eventually have his descendants enslaved, have his son murdered, and mount his son's head, right? The question then is, how did this story turn into the whitewashed myth that we have today, and how did it become the celebration that we have? It starts off, right, somebody in the early 18th century has a publication mentioning the dinner, and they call it, in a footnote, quote, the first Thanksgiving, that great festival of New England. And then that kind of picks up steam, and it becomes pretty widely accepted, until eventually, in 1863, in the depths of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln is like, that. you know that story people tell about the first Thanksgiving? Let's make that official. So mm-hmm. Abraham Lincoln, looking for unity in yes. a time of war makes Thanksgiving an official holiday. I did know that. And then in the 19th century, later and later, there's anxiety about the new immigrants that are coming over who are more Catholic or Jewish than the white Protestant population that lives in New England. And so as part of this, there's this anxiety about how do we 
assert this cultural authority, right? How do we make clear that this is our land? Mm-hmm. And so the the mythos of, oh, this is a white Protestant land in our history, you must assimilate to that, becomes very baked into the institutions and the storytelling and the mainstream culture. And then finally, like the thing that cements it is that as you move closer and closer to the 20th century, Americans are still fighting native tribes in bloody wars all across the country as they are stealing land left and right. And if you're just reading a newspaper, you're reading about massacres, you're reading about people being, you know, ejected from their homes or killed or, you know, taken captive. And the thing that was needed, right, is as those wars come to a close, how do you like, how do you incorporate that into your story, right? Do you just, it's very hard to live with the idea that this is a culture of death and conquering. And so the thing that happened was the Thanksgiving myth sees a massive explosion of times it's published in popular culture, right, as these uh, quote-unquote Indian wars are ending, right? As the West is being cleared of these native populations, you see people more and more refer to this grand history tied in very much with manifest destiny mm-hmm. of, oh, this is a land that was gifted to us by these natives and we are the rightful heirs to it. And that essentially displaces this very harsh reality of colonialism with a bloodless colonialism, right? I think it's, a, it's a big spin on genocide, we are committing acts of genocide and spinning it to say, like, this was gifted. Yeah. And, and and as long as you have that story to tell yourself, right, that is the thing that prevents people from having to confront the really dark truth that's at the core of that chapter of the American story. And so... Oh, I mean, if there's anything Americans don't want to do, it's confront any part of our history. <laughs> yes. Not a lot of happy times to be found. Not a lot of things to from a humanity standpoint, be proud of. There's a lot of things that people would assign value to, like conquering and industry and capitalism. But from a human perspective, it's dark. Yeah. And and I will say, I am not yet ready to give up the idealism of the American experiment. Right. Because I think deep down Mm. in the way that uh, other more eloquent people have stated than I have, the only people that have really believed in the American experiment to be what it claims to be on paper have been the black and indigenous and people of color in this country that have fought to get our laws and our institutions to live up to those written ideals. Mm -hmm. Right. And through that struggle. Right. There's some indication like deep down in there somewhere, there's this potential. There's this potential to live up into them. And like they were a lie when they were written, mm-hmm. right? Not all people were created equal. Women did not have any rights, right? Like all of these things that like we take for granted now were not true. But there was something in the mythos of the country at some stage that suggested that we could get there. And I do hold out hope that there is something about this American experiment that propels you towards what could actually be the first large multiracial democratic society where people actually have freedom. But if we ever get there, it will most certainly not be because of anything we owe to the original passengers of the Mayflower. And for that reason, they are definitely not my hero. They're not my hero either. And I'm going to be honest, Elliot, I'm a little disappointed. I thought we were going to be talking a lot more about a boat 
And I have a lot of questions about boats. First of all, how dare you? Second of all, how do they work? Third of all, I really wanted to know more about this specific boat. Yeah, I didn't actually... You didn't even bring me boat facts. I didn't actually bring any boat facts. It's like you don't know me at all. <laughs> I will I will chalk this up to inexperience with non-human heroes and definitely have to do better on my next boat. It's a little bait and switch. I thought I was coming <laughs> to talk about a shitty boat. Turns out I'm just here to talk about shitty people. And you know what? We do that every week. I was expecting <laughs> something, a little treat. No treats for me. No treats for you. Well, if you are still holding out hope in the potential of the Meteor Heroes experiment, mm-hmm. for boat facts next week, maybe. Oh, you, yes, there will be boat facts <laughs> next week. <laughs> Where can people get in touch? Um, on Instagram and Twitter at Your Heroes Pod or on our website, meetyourheroespodcast.com. Please rate and review wherever you listen. It makes a big difference. It is what's made us one of the top 500 comedy podcasts in America. Yes, and share with your family and friends. Um, We've got some really exciting episodes coming up, so you will certainly not want to miss it, and they will not either. And those episodes include Boat Facts. Mark my words. Mm -hmm. But until then. Until Boat Facts. Don't be a hero. Don't be a hero. Bye.